Praise the Lord. Good word. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you hold your Bible? Lift it up real high. Shout, this is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a hearer. Today, I will learn from God's word. And my life will never be the same. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Hebrews chapter number 9 verse 12. I got this one while I was sitting here uh, and praying. Hebrews chapter number 9 verse 12. Still talking about walking in divine health. Amen. How many of you would like to live in divine health? Just by a show of Where your body has no pain and you are just enjoying life. And when you go out on vacation, you don't spare any strength. You don't spare any uh, 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 opportunity to go out and have fun. Because my back is sore or my leg will give in. Amen? And God wants you to be at that place. And I trust that as we go through this uh, series, you'll be able to glean in on some revelations and God will minister to you and touch your life. Amen? Healing is a legal issue. Uh, Jesus has already paid for it, and we need to start appropriating it in our lives. Amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter number 9, verse 12 is interesting. It says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So healing is part of this eternal redemption that Jesus obtained for us. If you read in Isaiah 53, uh, the whole chapter, it talks about healing being a part of this eternal redemption that Jesus uh, uh, took a hold for us. Amen? I'm reminded of a story in Numbers chapter number 21 where the children of Israel were you know, being uh, beaten by these snakes. And God went and instructed Moses and he said, make a brazen snake and lift it up. And whoever looks at the brazen snake, and the reason you use the brazen or, or brass is because brass does not rust. This is what is talking about eternal redemption. It's an eternal redemption. It doesn't go stale. You know, there's a group of people that believe the miracles and the healings of God died with the apostles in 70 A.D. That's not true because Jesus obtained an eternal redemption for you. And healing is alive today as it was in the days of Jesus. And you can grab a hold of it. Amen. Let us go to Psalm 103 from verse 1. This is where we left off uh, last week. Psalm 103 verse 1. Psalm 103 verse 1. One of my favorite scriptures. It says, Bless the Lord all my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not. Someone say, forget not. So he's talking to people uh, uh, like you and me, who have a tendency to be forgetful. Amen? And the instruction here is forget not. Forget not his benefits. How many of you know that there are benefits in the kingdom? And these benefits were obtained as part of the eternal redemption or the eternal package that Jesus paid for on the cross. And part of it is healing. You know, I was sharing at Life Group and I was saying, if Bill Gates left a will for you, 
That part of his 46, how much does he have now? 55? Part of it, 56 billion. Uh, he wants to give to you one of it. Someone shout hallelujah. <laughs> Man, he wants to give you one billion of it. If he left a will with your name in it, how many of you know that that will won't benefit you if you don't hear anything about it? Ooh, man, that's good. That's why the Bible says my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Because they don't know what Jesus has already paid for. So they panic. Man, you'd go to a restaurant, and when they're about to present you with a bill, you panic. (laughs) Yet there's a $1 billion amount that has your name to it. And it's the same thing. When people get a diagnosis from the doctors, they panic. Because they don't know what's in the bank. Man, we need to start acting like these millionaires. You know, I had an opportunity to spend time with some millionaires uh, some time ago. And man, they don't, they don't panic. We went out to a restaurant. It was my birthday. We went out to a restaurant. Man, this restaurant was nice. It was, you know, one of those with bulletproof glasses. And the, the, the water from the sea would come and hit the glass and just go back. And he was crazy. And when the bill came, it was about $800. Man, I panicked. <laughs> my heart skipped a bit. Because I thought the culture in that land was like in South Africa. You know, in South Africa, it's the only place where people invite you for a birthday party and expect you. Listen, it's not my birthday. It's not my birthday party. I didn't invite myself. In fact, I could be at home watching the World Cup. Now I have to pay my own bill. (laughs) I've never understood that. But that's not the sermon for today. You know, I'm sitting in this restaurant and I saw the bill and this woman didn't flinch. You know why? Because she knew what was in the bank. And let me tell you, healing is loaded in the bank. When the doctors tell you you have something, just go look in the bank. You don't have to panic. Because Jesus paid for it in full. All you have to do is to begin to grab a hold of it. Amen? Because it is yours. So he says, forget not his benefits. I would like to translate it as forget not what's in the bank. Because the bank is loaded with benefits. Amen? And he begins to tell us what's in the bank. Verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquities. Someone shout, all my sins are forgiven. Past. Present. And future. Now watch what he says right next to it. Who heals all my diseases. Someone shout, all my diseases are healed. Past. Present. And future. Shout, I'm healed healed. right now now. in Jesus' name. And everywhere in scripture you see forgiveness of sin, right next to it is healing. He forgives your sins and he heals of all your diseases. Why? Because it takes the same power to forgive sin as it does to heal of all your diseases. See, a lot of people think salvation takes 10% of the power. But when it's sickness, God may have to, you know, connect some more generators in heaven. No, it takes the same power. Let us go to Mark. In fact, let's go to 1 Peter 2.24. Keep this in mind. Forgiveness of sin always comes with healing. It's part of the package. Amen? Amen. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his body on a tree, 
that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Forgiveness of sin and healing of all your diseases. In the same breath. Do you see it? 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 verse 23. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus at the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, take it, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do ye in remembrance of me. I want you to pay attention to a few words here. And we do this in this church. How many of you remember when we take communion, and it's so befitting because today we're going to be taking communion. When we take communion, we ask you to break the bread. It's not just, you know, us trying to be fancy or whatever. We're trying to get you to remember Because Psalm 103 says there is a problem of forgetfulness. And it says, do this in remembrance. Man, you need to live your life at the place of remembrance. You need to live your life at a place where you continue reminding yourself of these covenant rights. That he paid for my healing. He forgave me of all my, my, my sins. You need to live at the place of remembrance. And he says, I want you to do this as oft as you can. So communion is not some religious thing we do. It's We do it so we can remind ourselves of our covenant rights. As you take that bread and you break it in your hand, it symbolizes his body which was broken for you so that you could receive divine health. And right next to it, after he had given them bread, he gave them something that symbolizes the blood. Why? Because right next to the forgiveness of sin, God wants you to walk in health. See, forgiveness of sin is easy. People don't mind getting their sins forgiven. But when you tell them, God has also paid for your healing. You know, people can't comprehend. Let us go to Mark. Matthew, Matthew actually, chapter number 9. From verse 1 to 7. Man, this is alive. And when you start catching these revelations on the inside of you, wherever you go, the power of God will be manifested. Amen? Amen. On a good day, on a bad day, as long as there is money in the bank. It doesn't matter. Listen, if I had a billion dollars in my bank account, it doesn't matter if I'm having a bad day in traffic. Guess what? I'm still... It's the same thing. Some of you depend so much on how you feel that you stop and stifle the power of God from flowing through you. You're still a child of God, full of the Holy Ghost. Whether you feel like it or you don't. Amen? And you need to start letting that power of God flow out of you. Matthew chapter number 9 from verse 1 to 7. And he entered into a ship, talking about Jesus, and passed over, and came into his his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Man, this is awesome. He says, be of good cheer, your sins have been forgiven. And behold, certain of the 
scribes said within themselves, this, is, this man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think you evil in your hearts? For whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. Jesus is saying, which one is easier? To say your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk. Whichever one I pick, it doesn't matter. You know why? Because whichever one I pick carries the same power. Man, most of you don't have a problem leading someone uh, through the Lord's Prayer or the sinner's prayer into the kingdom. But you have a problem laying hands on the sick. You know why? Because you think it takes more power to heal the sick. In fact, we have made it seem that way. Man, the same power that it takes to lead someone in the Lord's Prayer is the same power that it takes to get them to be healed. Amen? And Jesus is saying here, which one is harder? It's easy. Both of them are easy. And he says in verse 6, But you may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sin. Then the man, he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed and went to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which which had given such power unto man. Amen? Man, this is awesome. And this power is available for every single child of God. Mark chapter number 5 from verse 21 to 43. Mark chapter number 5 verse 21. Thank you, Jesus. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. Verse 22. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him. And uh, verse 25 starts talking about the woman with the issue of blood, who said within herself, If I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. You know the story? Now, I want you to see something that's interesting here and contrasting these two stories. The, the, the ruler, Jairus, went and said, Hey, master, if you come to my house and lay your hands on my daughter, she shall live. The centurion said, Lord, speak the word only. The woman with the issue of blood said, if I touch the hem of his garment, what's going on? There's no formula in that, but Jesus meets you at your point of your faith. Mm, This is good. Some of you think, if I just finish this course, (laughs) I shall, but be made whole. And guess what? Jesus meets you at that point where you are, because that's where your level of faith is. The woman or the issue, there was no, you know, power in the hem. You know, I know pastors have tried to explain that, you know, the, the, the oil flows from the head and then most of it gather in the hem. I mean, that's, you know, you know, praise the Lord, but there's gravity. I mean, it's all going to be gone by the end of the day. There's no power in the hem, but Jesus meets you at your point of need. He said, if you come to my house and lay hands on it, she shall be made whole. And as Jesus was pro- uh, uh, going towards uh, his house, 
uh, he was almost inconvenienced by this woman with the issue and he healed her and he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. And then the story continues in verse 35. While he was still speaking to the woman with the issue of blood, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why troubleth the teacher any further? Man, that's awesome. Verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Think of it this way. Jesus is still addressing the woman with the issue of blood. And then someone came and said, man, to, to Jairus, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Your daughter is dead. Uh, you're going to have to not bother the master anymore. Let's go on with our lives. And in verse 36, it says, as soon as Jesus heard that word, that was spoken. He said, stop. In fact, let's read it in the NIV. I want you to see it in the NIV. Verse 36. Watch what's happening here. Some of you parents know this. You know, you could be talking to your daughter, and I do this. You know, I could be talking to you, and I'll be watching my kid with my other eye. And the other one is looking at you. That's what Jesus was doing here. He's focusing on the woman with the issue of blood, but he overheard. It's like, wait a minute, what are they saying over there? Overhearing what they said, he, Jesus told him, hey, hey, don't be afraid. Only believe. Which means this mattered to what Jesus was getting ready to do. He said, don't be afraid. Only believe. Overhearing what they said, overhearing them, trying to persuade him into a place of doubt and unbelief, he said, hey, stop, only believe, don't be afraid, don't do anything else. Next verse, verse 37, in the New King James Bible, and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of, Je man, this is good, after he said, just believe, Jesus turned around and he started going to Jairus' house. And as he was going, remember the crowd was following him everywhere. Can you imagine 5,000 people following him and Jesus, the Bible says, he permitted no one to follow him, which means there was a little bit of aggression. Hey, I don't want you following me. Stop right there. Hey, I'm going to draw a line here. I don't want any of you to pass this line. I'm going to go and take care of business. Why would Jesus do that? Because he's not about to go into this situation with their unbelief. Because remember in Mark chapter number 6 verse 5, it says in that city, the Son of Man could do no mighty works because of their doubt and unbelief. Now, if people's doubt and unbelief could hinder the Son of Man, the sinless Son of Man, I can guarantee you, unbelief and doubt will hinder you. Yes. Jesus permitted, listen, part of his nine were also not permitted to come with him. He said, I'm only taking James, John, and Peter. You come with me. Andrew, Bartholomew, Judas, you are staying. You are not coming. I'm going with these three. Why? I believe he perceived that they had faith. They had what it takes. Now, here's the mistake we make in the church. When the doctor tells you you have something, the first thing you do is get on the microphone and tell the 5,000. You even want the pastor to come and announce it in church. 
sister so-and-so has been diagnosed with cancer. And instead of them responding in faith, you know what they do? Ooh. And then as they leave the church, you know what they do? They start speaking death into the situation. Or did you hear that sister so-and-so only has about two months to leave? No, Jesus is saying just believe. The first thing I tell people is stop. Don't tell anybody. You know, I had a friend of ours uh, a few years ago. He was diagnosed of cancer. And a few things were happening in his life. And uh, his wife reached out to me and she said, you know, Tafara, we're reaching out to you because, you know, we know you can stand in faith with us and believe for his complete restoration. And they told me, they said, don't tell anybody else. And it's the same thing that Jesus did after he healed uh, this young girl later on. He said, don't tell anybody else. And you'd wonder why Jesus would say that, because this would be a great tool for evangelism. But he doesn't. You know why? Because he knows unbelief and doubt can undo even the work that he had done on that girl. The first thing we do in the church, man, is to tell everybody. And we did. We started praying with them. And, you know, God came through and he was completely healed. And now he's living cancer-free. Praise the Lord. But I can guarantee you, if he had shared with his unbelieving relatives... It would be a different story right now. That's why I'm totally against, you know, uh, what are they called? Uh, prayer uh, networks? What are they called? Prayer chains? Because what we essentially we are saying around prayer chains is, you know, if I miss it, then the next one starting at quarter past, we may, may eat it. If they miss it too, then maybe the one. Jesus never had a prayer chain. He kicked people out of his prayer chain. Because he wanted to kick all of the doubt and unbelief out of the situation. And I'm telling you, man, the first thing you do when you hear a bad report should not be to share it on Facebook. Because no one is standing with you in faith on Facebook. They're going to speak doubt and unbelief in that situation. And you're going to get yourself deeper. So Jesus tell them, I don't want any of you coming with me. Verse 38. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and he saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. Next verse. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. Next verse. And they ridiculed him. And when he had put them all outside. Man, he gets to the house, kicked them out too. He took the father and the mother of the child. Why did he do that? Spiritual jurisdiction, because they have authority over the child. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. The Bible says those who were with him is talking about those who were with him in faith. Man, the thing you should ask is, are you with me in faith or you're going to speak doubt and unbelief in this situation? Who is with me? Next verse. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talita kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately, the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years old of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Next verse. But he commanded them strictly. Someone say strictly. strictly. Why would Jesus do this? I mean, if I was Jesus and I'm running a Jesus ministry, I would put it on TV so we can tell the whole world about this 
awesome miracle that God performed in this little girl's life. Jesus tells them not to tell anybody. Strictly said to them, do not tell anybody. But give her something to eat. Why would he say do not tell anybody? Because he knows you're going back to your unbelieving people in the neighborhood. And the first thing they would do is start speaking unbelief in your situation. And tell you, did the doctor really say this cancer is gone? Maybe we need to check again. Man, they're dragging you back into unbelief. Or your cousin. In fact, I know where she gets this. They try to do it with our little girl. You know, she was struggling with uh, uh, allergies with her eyes and so on and so forth. And I'm believing God uh, 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 and standing in faith. And they came and these are respectful people in my life, my parents. They came and they said, you know, you also had this thing. I bind it in Jesus' name. It's not going to go to my little girl. My people will come and speak things over you and speak things over your children. Man, you need to be careful who speaks over your children and you. And man, I learned a lesson. Now I don't share with them. I just take care of it in faith. Because I don't want them, you know, speaking doubt and unbelief. And I know they do it from a place of love, but sometimes it's, you know, love uh, sandwiched around ignorance. Amen? Man, I'm, I'm strict about creating an environment of faith so that me and my house can walk in divine health. Amen? Amen. What are some of the things that you can do for you to walk in health? You're going to have to make these lifestyle changes. Number one, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 33. Is this making sense? <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Man, what do you do when you hear bad news? You believe. You believe in the eternal redemption. You believe in what Jesus has paid for. Just believe. That's what Jesus said. Just believe. That's your part in it. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 verse 33. He says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt Good manners. Can I have it in the original King King James? Evil communication. Evil associations corrupt good manners. This is a better version. The one I had here, the King James, said evil communication corrupt good manners. Now, I learned the power of words yesterday and understanding words. You know, we were here uh, setting up. And, uh, you know, before yesterday, man, I used to take the value of words just, just lightly. And yesterday I came, and it had flipped around. Now, you, if you have ever been here setting up, you know this. There's usually about uh, 98% Zimbabweans and about 2% South Africans, you know, from different tribes and, and so on and so forth. So yesterday it was flipped around. It was about 95%. Now, when it's 98% Zimbabweans and 2% South Africans, Neo usually is the one South African. She's always saying to Pablo, Pablo, why don't you speak in English, Pablo? (laughs) And then they start speaking in English, then they go back. She's like, Pablo, you know you must speak in English because I can't understand you. So yesterday they flipped it around. There's about 95% South Africans. I mean, they're having a good time. They're laughing and just having... And Pablo had the audacity... (laughs) To say to Neo, Neo, 
Why don't you speak in English? Neo couldn't believe it. She said, you, are you the one really asking me to speak in English? He's like, yeah, because I also want to laugh with you guys. I can't understand it. And it's the same thing here. Man, when you don't understand the value of words in this scripture, you may miss it. So let me break it down for you. When it says evil, uh, that word evil is kakos, uh, which means worthless. Uh, is when it says associations, uh, it's yilio, uh, where we get companionship. So he's saying here, worthless companionship corrupts good manners. Now, good manners trips up a lot of people. Because when you say good manners, a lot of people think terrible manners. You know, you, you don't eat with your mouth open and stuff like that. That's not what he's talking about. That word uh, good manners is ethos in the Greek. Which means a, a culture, which means a lifestyle. You know, have you ever heard people say, what's the corporate ethos of this organization? What do they believe? What do they stand for? And that's what he's saying here. He's saying worthless companionship corrupts a kingdom ethos. What is a kingdom ethos? A kingdom ethos is a kingdom lifestyle which includes abundance. Which includes walking in divine health. And he's saying worthless associations. Worthless companionship. Man, I've got no problem with the Kardashians. But when I get sick, they... Keeping up with them cats is not going to heal you. It's worthless companionship. And it corrupts a kingdom lifestyle. And this is the problem I have. And those people are not here this morning. This is the problem I have. There is always someone who believes they have the unmitigated responsibility to start a WhatsApp group and without any form of consultation... Add me to it. And they say, this is a new WhatsApp group we've started. For what? For talking about nothing but anything. I don't want it. Worthless companionship corrupts a kingdom lifestyle. Man, we've had to call some people and tell them, hey, this group says running group. Are you... Triple N, I-N-G. Running. Not politics. Not forwards. Forwards to 10 people. And then you'll get a blessing. No, that's not this one. This one is for running. Let's keep it at that. You know why? Because it brings you to worthless companionship. Man, we can't just sit around... And entertain worthless companionship. He says worthless companionship corrupts the kingdom ethos. It's corrupt. It corrupts what God has intentions for you. Man, worthless. What are you doing? We're just chilling. Man, chilling corrupts good manners. Just worthless companionship. It corrupts the kingdom ethos. There has to be value. And, and this is why I thank God for our staff at Faith Hill Church. Man, I love those guys. They're always prophesying, always speaking into my life, always speaking into the vision. That's why I thank uh, God for my family. Because they've learned that worthless companionship, man, it, it corrupts good manners. Amen? It just corrupts who you are. Let us go now to James chapter number 3, verse 16. So surround yourself with people of faith. Not worthless people. This is why Jesus did not want worthless companionship even going in to heal and raise the little girl from the dead. 
Man, I'm telling you, you're going to have to make some lifestyle changes. James chapter number 3 verse 16 says, For where envying and strive is, there is confusion and every evil work. Now, uh, 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 strive, envy, envy is just uh, uh, another word for jealousy, but it's jealousy with uh, malice. It's jealousy with an intent to harm. That's what he's saying here. He says, for where there is jealousy with an intent to harm, envying, and strive. Strive is basically vocalizing it. When you look for someone to talk to about your hurts, instead of going to that person that has caused you those hurts. Strive is a dangerous spirit. Amen? Especially within families, you know, husband and wife and children and so on and so forth. When they live at the place of strife, it opens up the door. Watch what it says. It says, for where there is envy and strife, there is confusion. And the Bible tells us, God is not the author of what? So if God is not the author of confusion, who might be the author of confusion? So when you entertain envy and strife, you've literally taken a pen and given it to Satan and say, you write the story of my life. You become the author of the story of my life. And it's dangerous grounds. And this is written by the Apostle James. He's the only apostle who actually pastored a church and wrote a letter to the church he pastored. So he's dealing with people in his own community and he's telling them where there's envy and strife, there's confusion and every evil work. And some of you here, you're going to have to learn how to forgive. You're going to have to learn how to release bitterness. Some of you don't talk to your siblings and you're proud about it. There's nothing to be proud. You have given the pen to Satan. Some of you have people that you don't talk to in life. Unforgiveness, you're harboring it. And I know Andrew Womack has said this. I haven't proven it, but he said this and it's a strong statement. So hold on to your seats. He said in every, about 80% of the cases of cancer, there is an evident, proven uh, uh, spirit of strife. 80%. That's real high. So this is a serious verse. Yeah. Where there's envy and strife, there's confusion and every evil work. What's the opposite of that? In Proverbs it says, a merry heart doeth good like medicine. Not a bitter heart. A merry heart. People who are just happy, man, they tap into divine health easier than people who are just bitter and uh, full of jealousy and envy and strife. Man, you're going to have to make some lifestyle changes. As you go back home, if you have, if you have people that you had a place of strife with, man, you're going to have to extend some unforgiveness and release them. Because someone, I think it was Joyce Meyer, she said unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. Yeah. Man, you're drinking poison if you're at the place of strife. Man, this is why I love happy people. I enjoy happy people. Why? Because the Bible says a merry heart doeth good like medicine. My wife couldn't believe it. You know, uh, uh, when we got married and I started introducing her to my family, from the time I walk into my brother's house, I kid you not, to the time I leave, man, we're just laughing and clowning around and just, and it doeth good like medicine. When I leave that place, I leave lighter. Some of you, when you visit your relatives, you leave heavier. You want to kill someone. That thing is eating you up from the inside. 
You know why? Because it's violating uh, the spiritual laws. And I'm out of time. Thank you, Jesus. Well, we love you. God bless you. And remember these words from 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We love you. God bless you. That's